Oh, man, we are getting younger each and every day. You know, every once in a while you hear something on the radio that grabs your attention, something that's different, that speaks right to some thoughts that you might have had in the back of your mind for a long time. Well, folks, that is this show. It's called Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton. That is Bill Schaefer. And you know, none of us are getting any younger. So what about those things that you've always wanted to do? What happened to the kind of life that you always wanted to live? This is the program that proves it is never too late and that no matter what your situation, there is always something you can do to start growing bolder. That was awesome. I'm ready to go now, <laughs> Mark. On this program, folks, you're going to hear why a character actor that you've seen many times who's been added for 50 50 years feels his character is just getting started. You'll meet a farmer slash scientist slash author who has great tips for anyone who wants to grow their own and will talk to the toughest active basketball player in the world. Here's a hint. It's a she and she's 76 years old and that is why we call this program Growing Bolder. All right, let's get going. I'm Bill, that's Mark, but you knew that. Here's something else you already know. In fact, you've known it ever since you gave up on the Adkins diet, ever since you swore you'd never have cabbage soup again, (laughs) ever since it took a month to unpucker your face from the grapefruit diet. You know that diets don't work, but you also know you need to lose weight. You know your blood pressure keeps creeping up, and you know your cholesterol and triglycerides need to be better. So you know you have to do something, and our next guest, Mark, might have the answer. She may have solved the Catch-22 here, Bill. She is the New York Times bestselling author whose books simply fly off the shelves. She's written The Lean, Veganist, and Quantum Wellness. She's a health and wellness expert who many Hollywood celebrities swear by, a go-to resource for the media. In fact, you've seen her many times on Ellen, Dr. Oz, Charlie Rose, Good Morning America, Martha Stewart, and Oprah. Why? Because she gets it, and she's changing countless lives. Let's say hello to the spectacular Kathy Freston. Hey, Kathy, how are you today? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're thrilled to have you on because we love what you do. Uh, You know, there are so many diet books out there, uh, billions of them, but your latest, The Lean, has really connected in a different way. Some of these books become bestsellers because, you know, they're based on popular fads. Yours, though, is now in paperback, still picking up steam because it's not a fad. What have you figured out that all the rest of these authors haven't? Well, I'm a big believer in uh, leaning into change. I'm all about ease, and it doesn't have to be hard, because I think when you lean into weight loss, you lean into a new way of eating, it's not too difficult or overwhelming. And it's the only way that's that's ever worked for me. It it reshapes your cravings and habits gradually. It it sort of changes the, the, the biochemistry of your body without feeling like you have to deprive yourself, that you have to white-knuckle your way through it. And I think that's the big difference. Now, Kathy, just as interesting as your ideas, you are yourself. I mean, you're a Georgia girl where the standard diet is what? Chicken fried steak, pork and beans, things like that. Not exactly a great training ground for a health expert. (laughs) That's why I relate to what people go through. I grew up on all of that stuff, and I loved it. And I never thought twice about it. I just ate what everybody ate, you know, my mom put on the table, and I was was happy as a clam. If you had told me back then when I was growing up that I was going to be someone who didn't eat anything from an animal, I would have laughed you right out of the kitchen. There'd be like, no way. You know, it was so foreign to me. So what changed, Kathy? I mean, uh, admittedly, you you didn't get off to a great start. What was the wake-up call for you? few things. Um, Number one, my father got very sick and and died of cancer. And so I started doing some, you know, serious research on what kind of diets feed cancer and turn on the cancer genes and what kind of diets um, turn off cancer genes and, and make the immune system stronger. And I kept, you know, coming to the conclusion through all these very Um, detailed, smart, peer-reviewed studies that a plant-based diet was superior in preventing cancer along with preventing and reversing other very serious uh, conditions like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. But I also came through it with 
sort of an ethical awakening. I, um, I started watching the videos of what goes on for animals as they become our food, and I, it, there's just something that didn't sit right in my soul. And so it all kind of started happening at the same time. I just thought, wow, I'm, I'm not very crazy about this process of how meat and dairy and eggs arrives on my plate. I don't like the idea of pain on my plate. So, um, you know, along with the health stuff that I was finding out, I thought, I just want to point myself in the direction of being someone who doesn't eat anything from an animal. And I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm just going to lean into it. And then little by little, I would start taking the animals off my plate and replacing that part of the meal with a plant-based protein like black beans or lentils or tofu or, you know, some chickpeas or hummus or things like that. And I just found my way very gradually into being someone who was a vegetarian and then later on a vegan. And a really interesting part of your story, Kathy, I think all of us, you know, if we had to have that image in our heads of the cows going through the slaughterhouse, we would think twice about doing it. But even more so than that, you were able to, for another lack of another word, humanize it more because of your little chihuahua. That was the inspiration. You never know where your inspiration is going to come from, but this cute little dog is what helped you get rid of that meat yeah, craving. Yeah, you know, it was really funny. I was... One day I was petting my, my little chihuahua, Lotsi, and she was on her back, and I was rubbing her belly, and I swear to you, she was smiling up at me. And, <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, I love this dog so much. You know, she's just, she's just the cutest little animal. And, and this voice inside of my head said, well, if you love animals so much, why are you eating them? And it was kind of like a light bulb went off, and I thought, well, you know, a dog, I don't eat dogs, but then... You know, I, I started realizing that this dog that I love so much is only dear to me because I know her. If I knew that little lamb or I knew that chicken or I knew that little pig or that calf or whatever, I would probably love them too because animals are, for the most part, very lovely and gentle and, and they have their own personalities and everything. So I started thinking of what must it be like if my little dog were going through that process of being in a slaughterhouse. And, of course, I was horrified. I would never want her to experience that. And then I thought, well, if I don't want her to experience it, I wouldn't want any animal to experience it. So I thought, I just want to be someone who doesn't support that kind of process. And no drugs were involved when you had this epiphany, right, Kathy? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely none. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, folks, we're talking with uh, Kathy Freston, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, a healthy lifestyle expert, but so much more than that, interested in making the planet better for everyone. Her new book is called The Lean. And, you know, I just love the, the, the play on words here because, you know, when you first see it, you think you're talking about becoming lean. Uh, but, but, but the analogy, the metaphor, if you will, that you use is one that Bill and I use all the time because, you know, we're in the business of inspiring people to improve their lives as well. And most people live life on their heels. And you really do have to lean forward. You got to get off the couch. You got to go for it. So, you know, congratulations on, on, on figuring out a way, you know, to, to help people gradually improve their lives through their diet. Well, thank you. And I, and I think with any substantial change in our lives, it's, it's very, uh, you know, it's scary. It's like moving out of your comfort zone. And that's why we do hesitate. We do hang on to our old ways. So if we take the pressure off of ourselves and say, you know what, I'm just going to take these baby steps. I'm just going to push myself in, in, in small ways and, you know, tweak things a little bit. And, and then, you know, it's going to start a momentum. And little by little, I am going to lean into a healthier, better version of myself. Yeah, part of the reason people relate to you, it's not, we all understand what not to eat. It's just hard to understand what to replace it with, what to lean into. Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer in crowding out, not cutting out. Um, crowding out is a term used in nutritional circles to describe how to eat in a healthy way so that you never even have the chance to feel hungry. So you're literally crowding out the junk that you think you want by choosing to eat key foods throughout the day so that you always feel satisfied. And some of those key foods are really easy. It's like I say in the lean plan, one of the first things you add in every day is an apple. And that sounds easy enough, but an apple is full of fiber. It's almost a quarter of your daily need of fiber. 
And fiber is the one thing that, that all the studies show that consistent and lasting weight loss um, is focused around is fiber. So you eat an apple a day, it's got a particularly powerful type of fiber called pectin, and that's what's used in, as a gelling agent to make jams and jellies. And so our stu- in our stomach, that sort of gel that forms from the pectin takes twice as long to empty, and therefore we feel fuller twice as long. So you start adding in, you know, an apple a day. One of the other things I say right away is to add in eight glasses of water a day. Super simple. We've all heard that it's really you know, important to stay hydrated, but there's been a very important study that shows that people who add two cups of water before each main meal actually lose an average of five pounds of fat um, in a 12-week period doing nothing else, just just adding in the water. It's called preloading, and it literally crowds out the room in your stomach. You're not as hungry, so you eat less. So these simple little tweaks that are, by the way, free or nearly free, just help you to feel different, and it's not a feeling of deprivation and cutting things out. You're just crowding out the room so that you're eating healthier stuff, and then your body chemistry changes. Kathy, we're getting down to our final minute. For, for those that aren't ready to go vegan that still want to have some sort of protein from a meat, meat source, you know, what do you say to them? Do you, do you just not acknowledge that possibility, or, or what can we eat in terms of fish or chicken or something that might not be so bad for us? I would just say keep decreasing, you know, if whatever you're eating, um, just eat less of. And maybe, maybe take one night a week and just say, I'm, I'm going to go meatless for today. And I'm going to find a plant-based protein to, to replace it, whether it's beans or hummus or tofu or a meat alternative like a veggie burger, whatever it is. And then just get used to decreasing your meat consumption little by little. Yeah, it's interesting how our thinking will change because, you know, I used to think that, well, I'm, I'm going to have a chicken breast, and that, that's a great way to go. But Kathy points out that a chicken breast is 20 grams of fat. There's also cholesterol in there, and you won't find cholesterol in plants, exactly. only in animals. Yeah, so, and, that, and, 20, and 27% of that fat is actually saturated fat. That's way too much saturated fat for us to eat in, the, in a day. And, you know, animal foods are chock full of cholesterol, just like we produce cholesterol, animals produce cholesterol. Plant-based foods have zero cholesterol, zilch. So that's a big difference if you're watching your cholesterol. Do you get it, folks? You make so much sense. The book is called The Lean. Check it out if you really want to lose weight and get healthy. There's more information at kathyfreston.com. What a great conversation with Kathy Freston. Up next, he wrote for the Smothers Brothers, and he's still laughing today. Some down-home humor from Jim Carlton. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Continuing now with Growing Boulder, I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. One thing everybody wants out of life, I guess you'd say, is success. But what exactly is success? Does that mean money? Is it fame? Well, we're about to meet a guy who has a definition all his own. Jim Carlton is many things. He's a great musician, he's a talented songwriter, and he's a hilarious comedian. And he ended up choosing to stay out of the spotlight because when it came time to make that choice, well, Jim felt there were other things things in life every bit is important. What do Graham Parsons, Jim Stafford, You'd better listen to what I'm gonna tell you. Mason Williams, Joan Rivers, I'm standing on the red carpet going, who you wearing? And the Smothers Brothers have in common? No, I didn't want to take it. They've all worked with this man. 
She walked out of the Kmart, took one look at my truck, asked me if I'd like to take her home. Jim Carlton is a real slice of Americana, a renaissance man of pop culture, a comedy writer who helped some big names get even bigger and who was content to stay in the shadows while he was doing it. The trap most of us fall into is this unquenching need for fame, for celebrity, and you you never wanted that. It's not, not that I never wanted it, but uh, and this sounds corny, but I, I hope I found peace of mind, Bill. Is there any better goal? The problem is, peace of mind usually is a goal you have to go after. And Jim did give it a shot. I did go on the road briefly, on and off for, oh, many years with Jim Stafford, the Smothers Brothers, and Joan Rivers. They were a package. And this is when Rivers was really hot. On the cover of Time and Newsweek and the permanent host for, sub-host for Carson. And so I went on the road just enough to really enjoy the trip. And it was always in casino towns. You know, it was Vegas and Atlantic City and Reno and, uh, of course, L.A. some. And that was a lot of fun. And I got to write for everybody on that, on that show. The question is, didn't he want to write for himself? I had been on stage something like 20,000 hours by that time. <laughs> I knew the reality of, uh, of the situation. Plus, there is no bigger thrill for me than writing a joke and, and seeing it get the laugh, whether it's I who get the laugh or it's someone else. It doesn't matter. It's just, the, it's just fun. I, I, uh, that's a very good question, though, but I think by the, I'd, I'd had so much stage time myself. I didn't need it that badly. And that stage time began in the eighth grade when he joined a band with the legendary Graham Parsons. We started out in 1962 in a rock band called The Legends, and we played stuff by The Ventures and, uh, you know, and Chuck Berry and uh, whatever else was on the charts that was accessible to people who didn't have a lot of chops. Yeah, you know, we only knew a few chords and we were just doing what we could do. Jim Stafford was in that group. He was a great guitar player even then. He and Stafford established a lifelong friendship. Jim even helped write the lyrics to one of Stafford's biggest hits. He wrote for the Smothers Brothers, Pat Paulson, Gallagher, Roger Miller, Johnny Carson, and David Letterman. I've had my cup of coffee in the big leagues, as they say, or maybe a little more than that. And uh, I'm still getting, uh, you know, I'm still very well connected. And he's using those connections because now Jim has found his voice. One hug and one kiss later, she unplugged her refrigerator. That's when I knew I was helping Dixie move. And he's got plenty to say. I will admit, there's nothing more fun for me now than doing a stand-up. You know, I've opened for, you know, any number of people as a stand-up, as just going out there 30 to 40 minutes. I've always looked for the joke. That's one of the things I hit it off with Graham right away. Graham would have been a great comedy writer. And uh, Stafford, of course, was Mason Williams. The Smothers, everybody uh, I've run, been able to run with, have, have uh, always had a great sense of humor, always had a great sense of the joke, always looking for the joke. It is addictive. It is just so fulfilling and rewarding, I can't tell you. I, you saw me, I think, when I opened for Roger McGuinn. Uh, one of the times I opened for Roger, I think the last time. And was I not having a great time? That's the thing about Jim Carlton. He always has a great time, always looking for the next challenge. He's a writer, a journalist, published in over 75 magazines, and he's about to become an author. Sounds like a guy who'd have no regrets. I don't understand people who say, I have no regrets. I have 10,000 regrets if I have one. And I'd go, <laughs> I'd go back and make a number of changes. And, you know, we're all embarrassed about things that we've done. At least I am. One thing he doesn't regret is the wisdom he's gained from his experience. What have you learned about life? Pay cash. It's one of the best lessons. And 
all the corny stuff. Just respect your fellow man. Be honest. Be, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. That's all. all it's all cornball. And it's all so true. <laughs> be a good person. What a great guy. Jim Carlton, folks, is a man of many interests, which really means he's a man of many talents, because if you have an interest in something, you do have a talent at it. Another one of his talents is being an author. He's written a book that's called Conversations with Great Jazz and Studio Guitarists. You know, he wrote it in memory of his good friend and one-time bandmate, Graham Parsons, who was only 26 when he died, and that is what inspires Carlton to live his life to the fullest. Everybody wants to look their best, right? So why are clothes, especially women's clothes, cut so darn tight? (laughs) Here's some big news, folks. Somebody is finally out there creating hot jeans for women of all shapes and sizes. Cecily Wilson says if she has as much magic as her husband, well, she'll be a huge success. When you start a business, you have to look at the bottom line. But in this case... It's another kind of bottom, a.k.a. the bootay, that has one of the most intriguing women in the world finding success in sales. And Cookie Johnson isn't just selling clothes, she's saving lives. Cookie is married to Magic Johnson of NBA fame, and she's also the owner of the company CJ by Cookie Johnson. She helps design and sell jeans and other items for curvy consumers and says it's not just about helping women look good, but feel good. After all, style doesn't have a size, and she's helping change attitudes one sale at a time. I had to literally take these women by the hand and get them in the dressing room. And once I got them in the dressing room and they put on these jeans and they saw that it fit their body type, they were so excited that a lot of women, I literally ran out of the dressing room, was dancing around in the department, wanting people to see them and see how fabulous they look. Cookie Johnson doesn't shy away from her famous name, but she also says it's important to run a company that serves all women. Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey are fans, but so are everyday women who want to look stylish at work and at home. In 1991, Cookie and Magic announced to the world that doctors had diagnosed him with HIV. At that time, Cookie was pregnant, but fortunately, neither she nor the child was infected. Since then, Cookie has worked tirelessly to help raise awareness about HIV and AIDS prevention with a special eye toward working with young women. Up next, one of the roughest, toughest basketball players still active today. Here's a hint. It's a woman, and she's 76 years old. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Ah, the sounds of Roger McGuinn reminding us that we're listening to Growing Boulder with Mark and Bill. Stick with us if you can, at least for the next few minutes, because the next guest is going to change the way you look at age forever. You know, we have many athletes on this program who defy their years by doing and accomplishing things that nobody a few generations ago would ever have believed possible. But our next guest, Mark, I think she takes it even further than that. Well, we'll see. We'll let you folks be the judge. She's a member of a basketball team called the Celadrin Tigerettes, kind of like the Boston Celtics of the 60s. I mean, this is a dominating group. Six women, all between the ages of 66 and 76, got together back in 1993, and since then, they have won seven U.S. Senior Olympic gold medals and countless state records. But what impresses us the most about them is not just that they win, but how they play. These gals are rough tough and aggressive. And for more on that, we turn to the team captain who joins us now, a woman who they call Don't Mess with Mavis, Mavis, (laughs) Mavis Album. Hey, Mavis, how are you? 
Oh, doing great. Doing very well. Thank you. You know, you sound like the sweet 76-year-old grandmother that you are. The surprise is that you're on a basketball court mixing it up uh, uh, in these high-stakes high games. What led you to do that? You know, uh, it's amazing you say that. Because so many people say, Miss Mavish, you don't look like a basketball player. <laughs> but uh, I have a love for the game and I always love women's basketball. But it is a rough and tumble game now. And uh, Mavis, what are you? Six foot five, uh, maybe two hundred and fifty pounds? Oh no, no! I'm about five foot eight, about one hundred and thirty-five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you guys so good? Well, first of all, we take a product called Celadrin for our joints. You know, <laughs> people don't do not move because they hurt. And if you can get something that makes you feel good and you're able to move around, uh, you're going to. So that's what we do. We take a product called Celadrin, but we have such a love for the game. And we've been playing together so long. We're like family. And uh, a lot of tournaments we go to, we see different players every time on a different team. But we've been together now for almost 17 years. Folks, do you hear the passion in her voice? 76 years old. And, you know, i got to tell you, man, you very subtly and sophisticatedly inserted your product announcement. Uh, that's not easy to do. You, you, you did that very well. Uh, Mavis, we mentioned your style of play. And I think, you know, uh, we're right. A lot of people imagine 76-year-old women playing basketball, you know, kind of just dribbling up slowly and underhanding passes to one another. But that's not what you guys do at all. Tell us how you play. What's the style? It is not like that at all. It was like that whenever I was younger and should have been playing like I'm playing now, but it's all reversed. But now it, we play by the NCAA rules, and it's, we play half court, three on three, and it's uh, two 12-minute halves. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty rigorous for 60- and 65-year-old women, 75-year-old women, but it is a rough game. We, we get a lot of bruises and busted lips and black eyes, et cetera. But uh, we, we just love it, and we enjoy what we're doing. Well, you sure make it sound like a lot of fun. Busted lips and black eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting, Mavis, to me, is it would be one thing if your team was like a major exception to what's going on out there, but in the 15 years or so that you guys have been together, you're seeing the competition also get better and stronger and more aggressive. There are a lot of women out there in their 60s and 70s playing some pretty good ball. You better believe they are very good. And and like you said, they are getting better every year. And people are becoming aware that there is something out there for them after they retire. And they get excited about it. I know how excited I was when I read about the National Senior Games. I said, oh, my goodness, I can play basketball again. Because when I graduated, that ended my basketball career. There were no WNBA teams and no college teams at all. So girls have an amazing opportunity now to be able to play the game of basketball and get paid for it. That is unheard of for us. You know, one of the things we've all learned, uh, Mavis, as you get older, it's important to socialize. It's important to have a group of friends around you. And, and, and maybe nothing does that better than team sports. Talk to us briefly just about what you get out of playing on a, on a basketball team in, in terms of how it impacts your life and, and your ability to live a high quality of life. Well, actually, it has changed all of our lives you know, the direction we were going in. You know, you retire, you tend to sit in the recliner. We don't do that. We go to the gym. And the ladies on my team are such elegant ladies. We encourage each other. We don't we never don't put down on each other. We are encouragers and we try to edify them and make them do the very best they can. We're positive. One of the players on our team loves to tell the story of this. My teammates make me a better person. And I think that's a profound statement that she is making because it is amazing how the camaraderie between our team is and how much we enjoy being together. We laugh and we cut up, and it's just just a great stress reliever, actually. And how cool that now you're becoming a national celebrity featured in a PBS documentary called Age of Champions. You think you guys are ready for stardom? Oh, we are ready and waiting for someone to pick us up and send us to the moon. But, uh, yeah, we enjoy what we're doing. We, we have a great time. We're all grandmothers. 
we love to get together and talk about which grandchild is the greatest and so forth. <laughs> but we, we enjoy what we're doing. We enjoy promoting our product. And we enjoy playing basketball. And uh, it's just it changed our lives uh, dramatically. And we enjoy, uh, you know, helping you spread your message because it's something that, that really affects people of all ages, even people in their 20s that are listening to this program, hear you, hear the vitality, hear what you're doing, and they now can believe what we say on this program every week, that it is never too late and you can continue to live a high quality of life into your 70s and 80s. Give us a 20-second takeaway. What's the moral of your story, Mavis? Positive attitude. Just have a positive attitude and set your goal. Say, I can do this, and I'm going to do it. And don't let anything come in your way. You make a goal, and you can accomplish it if you're really interested in it. She is the 76-year-old captain of the Celadron Tigrettes, one of the toughest, most dominating senior women's basketball teams ever, the inspirational Mavis Albin. You can learn more about her at celadroninfo.com slash tigerettes. Up next, some practical, resourceful, and easy-to-follow tips for anyone who would rather grow their own. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble to neglect. Hi, Mark Middleton. That is Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. And you know, we talk a whole lot about the benefits of following your dream, especially when it also happens to make a difference for others. And we're about to meet a guy who learned to love the land at a very early age, and who has made farming it the right way his life's calling. And not only that, Mark, the guy is a farmer, he's a scientist, and now an author known for seeking and implementing the most creative solutions to many farming issues. He's written six books, dozens of peer-reviewed scientific papers, and even hundreds of magazine articles. His latest book you'll love because it's called Plowing with Pigs (laughs) and other low-budget homesteading solutions. But this guy can help you no matter what it is you're trying to do. He's also the editor of Grit Magazine, Mr. Hank Will. How are you, Hank? Hey, I'm doing great. How about you guys? Hank, plowing with pigs? You can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh! You can totally do that, uh, but you're not hooking them up with a harness to a to a land plow. You're actually asking them to do what they do naturally, and and using their snouts to uh, turn the soil and actually clean it of grubs and and plants and weeds and and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's a it's a great thought and it's a great title for a book because it immediately you know tells us what's inside. I mean, it's been described as what happens when traditional knowledge is kind of combined with MacGyver style <laughs> in, ingenuity. Is this stuff you invented, or are these old uh, old tales that the old guys told you? Oh gosh, I, I could only wish that I invented something like this. No, I think the hogs probably actually invented it. You know, as they were developed, but um, folks in the olden days certainly in the past, certainly have used their hogs to, to break new ground. Uh, it certainly is much less labor-intensive. And, uh, you know, you, you get some, some agricultural product out of it as well, plus some fertilizer. And people may pass your book on the shelves, Plowing with Pigs, and go, well, shoot, I live in the city. What's in there for me? But there's plenty in there for, the, for them. Oh, yeah. You know, we talk about all kinds of different uh, animals and, and gardening and, and small-scale uh, farming strategies. So, I mean, if you if you live in town and you've got some space in the backyard for a vegetable garden, uh, you should go for it. And we, we talk about ways to do that in the book. But also, uh, why not add some chickens to the mix because they'll make compost for you, and they'll actually help you keep the weeds down when that garden's fallow. What is the, the, the primary motivation today, would you, would you say, Hank, for people that are, you know, kind of trying to, you know, to, to lead a more rural life? Is it to grow their own healthy food, given all the crap that's out there? Excuse me for that. Uh, <laughs> is it to, to get off the grid? I mean, what, what's happening? I think it's, I think it's really uh, based on a, 
a gut level need or desire to to have a little bit more control over one's life, and and by that I mean uh, non-financial life, you know, in a way. So yeah, it's all about being able to provide for oneself from the from the soil, from the root, if you will, as opposed to uh, you know making some cash, which then you would trade for food that somebody else would supply you. You're dependent on somebody then. Now, Hank, more than just the book, you know, this this program is about trying to encourage people to find their passion and then go for mm-hmm. it in, in, in any way they yeah. can. And look what you've been able to do uh, in, in your life. I mean, you're not pigeonholed into any one section and any one career. You, you've made quite a, quite an interesting life for yourself. You know, you know my, my sort of guiding principle has always been to believe that there's just about nothing I couldn't do and, you know, to find my passions and when they appear to, to, to find a way to pursue them. Uh, it's been a, it's been a long, crooked, many branched path for me, but, but, uh, you know, I took opportunities as they became available and, and discovered where I liked to actually be. Folks, we're talking uh, to a man of many talents. His name is Hank Will. He's written uh, an interesting new book called Plowing with Pigs. And what really is the message uh, of this book, Hank? Who is the audience? You know, I think the audience is a combination of, of folks that I would say are, are dreamers, people who desire to, to have a more uh, self-sufficient, self-reliant uh, life, uh, as well as to uh, beginning practitioners and even experienced practitioners, I think we've got something in there for everybody. Mainly, don't believe everything they tell you. Don't believe that you have to buy all this stuff in order to uh, uh, live this life. Uh, figure out where you're passionate and, and dive in and know that you're going to make some mistakes, but but you'll make some big wins as well. And I think, too, Hank, one of the things I got from your book is don't think you have to know it all to do it. You know, it's okay to experiment. And even the craziest ideas, like plowing with pigs, if it works, do it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you can't find all this stuff in a manual somewhere. Sometimes you just have to go out, use your head, or, or you know, use whatever you have available to you and see if it works. And a lot of times you'll be pleasantly surprised. You know, a great way to get your message out, Hank, obviously, is to write a book. But, but I'm guessing social media has got to be one of the greatest tools that ever happened. You know, be, you know the long tail of existence, if you will. No, will. no matter what lifestyle people are pursuing, there's people like you out there that can enable them to do that. Absolutely. You know, that's a, it's, a, it's a marvelous tool for this age to, to be tapped into, to get tapped into a, a community of either like-minded folks or, or folks that you can bounce ideas off of or find solutions to pesky problems from. You know, there's a, a really good sort of nurturing, sharing group out there. You know, and not only about the farming and the growing things, but there's a huge section of the book, a great section, that's about recipes and cooking from scratch and, and even how to stock your pantry. And, and, you know, I got stuck at maple icing. I've got to try <laughs> maple icing. It's pretty darn good. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it, again, it's sort of, I think one of our, our goals is to get folks to thinking about the home as being a production center once again, as opposed to just a, a center of consumption. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of from scratch cooking, which is can arguably be much more healthy and satisfying, uh, really doesn't take that much more time than than the, the the you know more instant or the more convenient food, which they've convinced us we need. And you mentioned in the book a good bit also about kind of uh, you know getting back to building things with our hands. Uh, you know, the act of doing that alone is really its own reward, isn't it? Oh gosh, totally. I mean, if you if you just go out and create something with your own hands, you know, it doesn't matter how how sort of intellectually inclined you might be, you still walk away from that and you go, "Wow, uh that's cool. Look at that thing that I made, you know, or created or or recycled or whatever and made useful again." It's uh very compelling. And, you know, beyond that, you know, we have learned that in terms of quality of life moving forward, that, that by using your hands and doing the kinds of things that are in your book, you know, it, it builds the, the neural synapses, if you will, and, and, and it, it is great for your brain health. Yeah, I, I would also agree with you on that. You know, everything really is connected. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're highly knowledgeable in one area, you, you know principles that you can apply elsewhere if if you put yourself in the circumstance to actually draw on that uh, knowledge and experience. It's all, I think, really all about integration. 
and uh, it's a, that's a wonderful uh, uh, brain exercise. All right, Hank, about 30 seconds. Let's finish as strong as we can here. Give us the elevator pitch about what we can learn from you. What's the takeaway from the things that you've created? Oh, Lord. You, you know, the, I think the real takeaway is is to believe that you can actually create a much better life for you than the uh, PR pundits would have you believe when selling you products. I love it. It's beautiful. Simple, concise, just like the book, just like the philosophy he's pushing. The book is called Plowing with Pigs. And for more information and to open your whole new world to yourself, check out Grit.com. Our thanks to Mr. Hank Will. Up next, he's been on stage and screen for 50 years. So find out why Raymond J. Barry feels like he's just getting started. This is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. We're going to talk now to a man whose career has taken him all over the world. And if you had to peg down what his career actually is, I guess you just have to say the man creates. Mm. He's an author, a playwright, an artist. He's someone you've seen probably many times, but whose name may not come to mind right away. He is an actor who's appeared in about 70 films like Dead Man Walking, Born on the Fourth of July, and many, many plays in a career that has lasted five decades and is still going strong today. You probably know him from his awesome role in the TV hit series Justified. He's also appeared in the show New Girl, but there's far more to this man than his roles on the screen. Let's find out more about the great Raymond J. Berry. Hey, Raymond, how are you? I'm very good after that buildup. Oh, man. Really good. You know, <laughs> you, you deserve it. Uh, and, and if you don't mind me telling your age, you're now 73. Still I'm 74. 74. Got, yeah. c- congratulations. And still going, Thank you. still going strong in an industry that is renowned for chewing actors up and spitting them out. Other than great talent and being a guy everybody wants to work with, how have you managed to hang on the way you are? Um, tenacity. I, you know, that's a very interesting question. I keep myself physically in shape. Um, I also am constantly working on plays, so it's not like I take five months off and wait for the next TV job. I'm working pretty much from Monday through Friday for two hours, nine through uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, acting on uh, works which I write myself and when I feel that the play is finished, I perform it right here in Los Angeles and at the uh, Theater for the New City or La Mama in New York City. Wow. And other places, too. Uh, Remains Theater in Chicago, I've taken my plays, uh, uh, Colorado Springs, Portland, Oregon, um, uh, various theaters throughout the country I can bring the, uh, my work to. Point being, I don't take breaks. Uh, I continuously have my hand in the pie, so to speak, um, uh, and I'm in shape when uh, something comes up. Like this week, I was cast in um, Grey's Anatomy. I'm going to go today after this interview for a round-the-table meeting with the director and actors and uh, producers will be there. I was cast yesterday, and uh, I'll shoot an episode or two or three on Grey's Anatomy. I didn't know that job was going to come up, but I've been rehearsing my play 
all along, so I'm in shape for it. Well, you congratulations. Know? And that's well, the, thank you. The other cool thing about you, Ray, is that the roles you get, you know, sometimes with older actors, you know, your role involves walking into the kitchen and having a conversation with somebody, but you are... You're in some pretty rough, tough physical roles. You you do just about anything anybody else does. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, I'm in shape. Uh, you know, um, I'm built that way. I have good genes, and uh, I don't know. When I was an athlete, when I was in college, I played four years of football and track and field for four years, and a couple of years of basketball, and I was a jock. And I I never stopped working out after I graduated. It's part of who I am, so to speak. I would feel embarrassed if I let myself get overweight or something. Um, I like, you know, I like being strong. Uh, it just feels right. Hopefully, you know, I have a little contest going with myself. Hopefully I'll be able to really be in good shape when I'm 85. Who knows? Well, that's great. We need more role models like you in, in Hollywood. Uh, and what is it about you in prisons, Raymond? Because most of us are trying to keep out of prison. You're actually trying to get in, aren't you? You know, that's very interesting because I've done a lot of roles that have to do with prison. Uh, and before I started to... Uh, really go into filmmaking and um, uh, television work. Uh, I was living in New York City doing mostly stage work, and I was working in three different prisons during the week, uh, Attica, Sing Sing Penitentiary, and Grasslands County Jail. And I had a theater company called Street Theater, which... Uh, <clears throat> Open, we had a truck that opened up into a stage, and I could uh, pay ex-offenders when they came out of prison a salary, a weekly salary, and uh, we'd make our own plays and perform them in parks in Westchester County or Manhattan on the street. i get a permit, and I had the stage built right into the truck that we had, and uh, I did three, four workshops a week in the mornings um, in prisons and also at a church in White Plains, New York, and also in Manhattan. Uh, so I, I have a connection with the, the prison world. Um, I don't do that work now, but I understand that environment, and uh, I'm familiar with... Uh, uh, people who have uh, been incarcerated, I, I know something about that journey. So, and, you know. And how inspiring, it, too, Ray, because when you were involved in that, that gave your mom the idea of maybe starting an acting career also and something that she was able to do, and she was a great role model for you like you are for others now. She acted till what? She was almost 90. Yeah, she acted uh, in films and television, uh, soap operas and commercials until she was 88 years old. Um, she finally cashed it in. She started acting in my company, Kena Company, in New York City because I asked, I invited her to become one of the actors after she wrote me a letter, a poetic, beautiful letter about her life. And I thought it was something that she should read on stage in between scenes of a play which I wrote. I thought it would be wonderful if she would come out and recite sections of this letter to the audience, uh, and then a scene would happen, and then she'd come out again and recite another section of it. Long story short, she agreed to do with it, uh, do it, and uh, I uh, worked with her on that play, and I directed her in three other plays, and we worked <laughs> together as director and actor for seven years. Wow. After which, she went off on uh, her own adventure, so to speak. Um, I got her an agent. And uh, she did 20 films, including some very highly visible films, um, like Trading Places and Arthur. 
And uh, her neighbors thought she was a movie star. (laughs) (laughs) And she became David Letterman's mother on his TV show. Oh, my gosh, I remember that. Yeah, she would appear, you know, briefly with a a hard hat on and a cable around her shoulder, and David would introduce her to the audience. This is my ma. She's working backstage, and she would wave and say, hi, David, you know. Uh, hey, uh, Raymond, it's a fascinating story. Uh, your life has been incredible. We know there's many more things to come. Folks, he's 74 years old. He writes, he acts, he paints, he sculpts. He moves forward while he's giving back. He is our kind of guy, and we will continue to keep our eye on the great Raymond J. Barry. Thanks, Ray. Hi, folks. That's it for this week, but it's just the beginning of the process. If you like the interviews, there are hundreds more things for you to see and do at our website, growingbolder.com. And when you're there, you're also going to find a whole lot more out about Growing Boulder TV. And you can subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, which also happens to be available for free at most Central Florida Walgreens stores. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded live at Growing Boulders Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Director of Technology is Joshua Doolittle. Chief Audio Engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. Said I, proud neat heated brow. Ah, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Half right prejudice leap for rip down all hate I scream. Lies that life is black and white. Spoke from my skull, I dream. Musketeers, foundation deep somehow. Oh, but I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. In a soldier's stand.